about 10% of organizations get two-thirds of their strategic objectives done. The reality is organizations spend about 2% of their time on strategy. Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. All right, uh, my name is Carl J. Cox, CEO of 40 Strategy. And why we exist is we're trying to positively make an impact on a million people in 10,000 organizations over this current decade. That's our passion. And we also strive to give, uh, we want to give at least a million dollars to charity. And, and I'm super excited about that. That's what we do. We give the first 10% of all of our net revenues to charities. And so that's what gets me out of bed each day. What do we do? Well, what we really do is we help businesses and organizations understand where they're trying to go. We help them understand their vision, their mission. And from that, we design a strategic plan. And with that strategic plan, we go through a seven-step process called our captain strategy, which has these key principles. And through these seven principles, they learn how to do not only the design, a world-class design of a strategic plan, but we help keep them accountable to actually get it done. And the results for our clients is amazing uh, because the problem with strategic planning and execution is most people are absolutely terrible at it. The data that's pretty well accepted is about 10% of organizations get two-thirds of their strategic objectives done. That's crazy, right? So like literally 90% of people fail to get two-thirds of what they said they were going to get done. Now, if you look at New Year's resolutions, it's pretty much the same thing. You know, Between 2 and 10% of people actually get their New Year's resolutions done, and that's if it's one New Year's resolution. So what we do is we've understood – I have had practical experience. I've been with seven different companies that have gone from 2x to 7x in size. So I had this learning experience internally, and I actually thought everybody knew how to do strategic plan execution because I was taught by these Fortune 500 executives. And and then I opened up the U.S. office for a company called Cascade Strategy, and this really surprising thing happened. I was like, okay, doesn't everybody know how to do this? And And then it was like, no, they're, they were buying our software like people would buy a Peloton bike. And okay, if anybody's bought an exercise equipment, it's probably become a very expensive towel rack for you. The reality is most people buy things and they don't use it. And that's how, why the whole exercise industry works is because they expect that you're going to give up on it. And, and so with strategic planning, it's kind of the same thing. People get excited about the whiteboard session. Like, I love whiteboards too. And, you know, write something down. It's like, hey, this is going to be like the best plan in the world. We're going to crush it. And then they go away and they do nothing. And, and that's unfortunately the plan. So we've learned from this and they've learned these principles. And so what happened when I was trying to save our clients with Cascade Strategy, I started doing free consulting. And then we started charging a little bit for consulting. And eventually people were like, wow, Carl, what you have, you didn't know, but what you have and the experience combined is just amazing for us. We're actually able to get this stuff done. And what happened is the CEO of Australia said, hey, Carl, why don't you now create and run my global consulting unit. I was like, oh, wow, what an amazing opportunity. Literally, he was telling me about this, and we are paddling in Sydney, Australia. We're on these really cool sea kayaks, and we're like paddling. like, Carl, why don't you do this? And I was like, oh, this sounds amazing. The problem is I have got four kids, and I didn't want to be gone 80% of the time, plus traveling around the world, trying to get this global consulting business going. And so I politely declined, had a good transition to the business, and that's how I opened up 40 Strategy. And 40 Strategy, why we're called that, is is two key reasons. Number one is the reality is organizations spend about 2% of their time on strategy, which is equivalent to about 40 hours per year if you're taking it on an individual basis. We work about 2,000 hours times 2%, that's 40 
strategy. So that's what it is. But the other reason behind this is there's kind of this number of 40, if, you, if you've read historically. And the reality is to be successful is a lots of trials and tribulations. You have to get through to there. So that's the, the other reason why we're called 40 strategy is not only do you have to spend a better amount of time and be more successful with it, but then you also have to go, you do, do have to go through trial and tribulations to be successful. There's very few overnight successes. And even when they are overnight successes, you realize when you look back into the detail, they're working on this for the past 10 years. And, and so that's what we try to do is we try to make sure that our organizations that we're working with are super successful. And the crazy part, this is the awesome part, is we typically get a 5 to 10x return our clients get from working with us. And sometimes it's 100x or more. And, and, and so we know what we're doing actually works. And I just have a passion to help make sure that small to medium-sized businesses and organizations can not only visualize, but they're actually going to get it done. And that that's what gets me, once again, it gets me out of bed. Through that, we get to give towards others as a result of that success. And um, that's, once again, that's what our passion is, to help make a difference. How often do you see a company win by luck? You know, there's a lot of people that use that example of saying, oh, we're, we were just lucky. We were just at the right place at the right time. Baloney. Luck comes from being at the right spot at the right time, right? From from years of, of figuring out what is your product or service that you have that creates value and how do you find your target market to serve it well? And then how do you make sure your organization does two key things? They focus on in the business to make sure they're providing value to the clients consistently, but then you're constantly working on the business to make sure you're steering it in the right direction. Once again, that's that 2%. You know, you think of it like a rudder on a ship. The rudder is a tiny little spot in the back of a boat, but it literally, that little device steers the direction of the company. And, and when you get everybody aligned, when you get people moving in the right direction, things move faster. What you were describing beforehand is when organizations are not aligned, you know, things go in all different directions and everything slows right? Your effectiveness, your alignment, your excitement, right? Because it's like you got 500 different islands, or if you're a company of two, two different islands, or if you're a company of, you know, a thousand, thousand different islands of people on all their own different pages, when you can get everybody speared like a tip of an arrow, and they're, you know, almost think of like a submarine, right? When you have everything in aerodynamics, you could even move through water, right? Under, underwater and move really fast. Same thing for a ship, right? When you, when you're moving the right direction and you don't have things holding you back. And that, that's what it is for a company. Yes. So the, the short answer is when companies have figured out who they are, who they serve, and then they go with a plan and then they figure out how they're going to get there. Now, the interesting thing is there's the end target. So this is like one of the big secrets. And actually this is Amazon is, is really well known for this. And they did this at an early you know, when they were small, right? People got to remember. I, remember. I was literally just talking with my wife the other day of that, you know, in, in 1999, actually in 2000, people thought Amazon was going to have a business. Like, how, how is this company going to work and make it? You know, they're selling books online, right? Like, it was like this crazy thing. Like, uh, how is this company going to survive books online? But they found something really interesting. First of all, they were like crazy about customer service. That was like number one. The second key thing that they did that people, most people don't recognize is people are always thinking, oh, they're trying to get just sell more books online. No, that's not true. What they were focused on is the steps to get people to buy books online. Those are called the leading indicators. So the outcome is the book sold. The leading indicator is, is how do we get people to know what book they are? How do we get people to a cl to click purchase? It was all these leading indicators that help with the outcome. And, and so one of my fun examples of working with an organization, it was a charter school of all things. 
And I was asking them, what's your most important indicator? And they're like, well, I think our most important indicator is number of students. And I was like, well, why is it number of students? Like, well, we're a charter school. We don't make money. <laughs> like, literally, we cannot be a charter school if we don't have students. And I was like, okay, that's fair. And, and so that was a thing. So I just asked them, so how do you know you're keeping up with your charter students? They were like, you know, we don't know. We don't know how it gets there. And I guess, and they were like, I guess we just track the number of students. I was like, okay, well, how about during the year? And they're like, oh, we track the number of students. We were talking with the CFO. And as a previous CFO in my life, I, okay, that happens, right? So just numbers, people look at numbers. Finally, somebody said, well, how about number of applications that happen? And that's a reasonable, okay, number of applications. But I asked them an important question. I said, do you control the number of applications that come in? They were like, no, we don't control that, which is a key differentiator of whether it's a leading or lagging indicator. Now we went to the next side. We're like, all right, how about what are the things you're doing? And finally, the superintendent who was working on his PhD, and he's like, you know, Carl, when a prospective student takes a campus visit, and they come to our place and they walk around with an existing student and they see our teachers and they see our students and they feel our culture and they see our athletic fields. And then they come and walk in and then I would have the handshake with that prospective student. And he said, and he, he was like, every single time I did a handshake, I could tell whether they're going to come to our uh, school or not. So then I asked him the important question, are you tracking campus visits? And what do you think their answer was? No, no. So this is the crazy part. What that is, that campus visit is the most important leading indicator for that organization, and they weren't tracking it. So what we changed was that became now the mantra. We're going to track campus visits. And then your strategies is how do you make that campus visit better? How do you make sure? And this is the great part. After we're talking about all this, he's like, you know, I've been working on my PhD, and I've been so busy, I have not been able to be on the campus visits. I wonder how they're going. So this is, this is the question I like to ultimately get to is, what is your campus visit? For a business and organization, what is your one thing, your most important thing that you know it's the difference between getting a client or not getting a client? And then all of your supporting strategies are to help make that result better, more effective. So that's, that's the key for every company is finding out what, once again, I use the term your campus visit, but it's, it, what, is, what is the most important leading indicator, thing you can control and to have a better experience with it so you're going to have a better outcome. Fortune 500 principles work in Fortune 500 companies, but they don't necessarily work in a company that's 1 million, 5 million, 10 million, 20 million, you know, under 50 million. They're different because they don't have the people, processes, and systems built in that a Fortune 500 company does. So when people go, I want oh, this corporate strategy work. Well, yeah, when you have a billion dollars in resources, of course it works. But small, medium-sized businesses don't have that luxury. The difference is I got taught Fortune 500 principles, but my entire career I applied it to companies that were under $100 million. From startup to $100 million, I worked everything between. So my what I could bring and, and I consistently bring to clients is I bring them, once again, Fortune 500 principles, but how to apply it for a small to medium-sized business. And that is the, is, is the difference between success and not success. And once again, it's just consistently done. And I love it because there's nothing more fun when we figure out the campus visit for a client, as an example. And we get the whole company rallied around that. Literally, I, just the other day, I was talking with somebody who one of our clients based out of Boston, and, and, he, and he said, hey, Carl, we just doubled our business last year. And part of it was they figured out their campus visit. You know, They figured out their, their one key thing. Now, just to know, there's more stuff than that, right? There's more stuff that goes around that. But having that most important thing, that you're focused on will have some of the biggest impact on your outcome and help grow your business. So the biggest problem with small to medium-sized businesses, and actually this is a big problem for big businesses too, is the 
shiny object. We get excited about the next thing we could do. And what we don't realize is that the thing that we have is often already there. It is the thing. We just have to figure out how what our campus visit is, is to get it to market often. And so the challenge is that when we keep on adding new products and new services, one of the best things, Brian, that happened during COVID, and it's hard to say, was there anything that could happen out of COVID? There actually was some really good things that happened out of COVID. And one of them was what happened to restaurants. Now, this is not true for the Cheesecake Factory, okay, who still has a, a gazillion things in the menu. But often we're selling way too many things, right? We're selling way too many things. But it works with Cheesecake Factory because that's their thing. You could get whatever you want here. But for most restaurants, they were losing money because they had way too much on the menu. There's something called the Pareto Principle, which is effectively 20% of your actions get to 80% of the outcome. It's a general average. It's not always truly 80-20. But in general, 20% of what you do gets to 80% of the outcome. When people removed their menu by like 80% and sold only the 20 most important things, yeah, they may have lost a customer or two, but they got to keep less inventory. They got to know exactly what was on their menu. And then they would steer people towards right to what sells the most. They were making more money, having more results, having happier customers, and stop selling a thing that was the, the fun thing that the chef created on the side one night. They were like, oh, let's sell this. They sold like three of them. And they actually put a menu on it, and they changed their menu. So the one big thing is, is, is for a small to is we do too much. Focus on the key things that's going to have the biggest impact in the outcome. This is a big reason why you should bring in somebody from the outside to help with facilitation. Because internally, you're caught. You're caught in your stuff. You're caught in your, this is a great thing. This is a great product. Hey, I thought about this in the shower the other day. I know it's going to work. And, and so that's what happens with people who are like each other. And, and they're working together. And even if they don't like each other, you can't see things. But when somebody comes from the outside and helps you see yourself in the mirror for the first time, that's why having somebody independent to help you look at things. And so I was with a client recently. We were in Lake Tahoe. It was like gorgeous. And so we had this pristine view. Literally this house had like 20 rooms, bedrooms. I mean, it was like one of the biggest homes I'd ever been in. And, and so we're overlooking and this team, and, and it was a really diverse team. So like literally they had like 20 people on the management leadership team and they all had equal rights okay so they're all like equal shareholders which is really uncommon and so they came up with like 87 ideas hey here's our 87 ideas we're gonna do over the next five years to do things it's like cool so that was the brainstorming okay and i know 87 ideas are not going to work so we started working with them and i started okay let's let's you have 87 ideas here and we had 20 different people i said okay you have three dots put that on the most important things on the board so they went through the dot exercise. And they were initially, they were fighting this. Like, oh, you can't make us do three dots. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah we can. We did three dots. Got down to 15 ideas, 15 ideas. And you know what's really interesting is, even though they fought initially, like, oh, wow, we nailed it. We got our 15 ideas. We got our most important 15 ideas. So that was super cool about this, right? Really successful organization, by the way. Like, this company is crushing it. They're doing really well already. But they were getting ready to do too much again. And that was the problem with their previous strategic plan. They were doing too much, too many things. So when we'll do a strategic facilitation and, and we're working with an organization and we'll ask them, hey, so what are, your, what are your strengths and what's going well and what's not going well, right? And so we'll, we'll ask them about things. What are your biggest opportunities? But one of the funniest things that happens every single time is we'll ask them something like, so how are you going? And we'll ask them about their people. And like 99% of the time, they're like, our people are great. It's almost the silliest question to ask in the world. And this is the, this is the cold hard reality. Three things typically stop an organization from doing well. It's, it's their people, it's their process, or it's their systems. Typically, what has to happen is as a company grows, somebody may have been a VP of sales for a company that went from like one to five million. 
but I'll, I'll come in. And, and this is what's going on. When they're trying to get to five to 10 million, something's not working anymore. And they're continuously looking at their process and systems. And they're like, oh, it's because we don't have the right CRM system. Or we're, we're not putting in our pipeline information enough. This is why we're failing. No, the, the reality is, is that person was never a manager. That was an individual contributor. So we did two things. So this is like one of the worst things that a company does. They'll take a great salesperson and they'll put them to management. Sometimes people are just really good at being a hunter. They're really good at it. And then all of a sudden we take that person away from hunting and we say, you can't hunt anymore. You now do need to manage this bunch of sheep in your, in your office. You, you have two losses from that. The hunter is no longer crushing it for you because this is the reality is most hunters sell the majority of your business. And two, you then ticked off all the rest of your sales team because that person doesn't know how to manage. So that's just an example, like a, a detailed example. But one of the challenges is that somebody who is good at a certain size is not necessarily good at the next size. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.